This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the Dato Download Podcast, a part of the illustrious mix of Peristyle Podcast shows. I mean, we've got Tunnel Vision Live shows, along with a two-star composite with the Cilantro Boys that break down everything USC football recruiting related. There's the Harvey Hyde Podcast with the old ball coach breaking things down from his perspective. And then there's the Intermittent Herd on the Sidelines Podcast, where I try to take you a little bit behind the scenes with player and coach interviews. But on this podcast, the Dato Download we focus on the greatest college baseball program in all the land, the USC Trojans, winners of 12 national championships. Again, that's twice as many as the next closest that's the next closest school. Uh, I'm Shotgun Spratling alongside co-host Jack Smith. Jack, how are we doing today? I'm doing well. I'm back home in San Jose, which means I didn't get to catch any of USC's home games this weekend for the first time all year, but I'm excited to break it down on the podcast today. Jack and I were both uh, away, but we were watching, of course. Jack and I are here to break down everything that happened last week and what proved to be a huge week for the Trojans. What to look forward to this week, the final week of the regular season, and just and see just where USC stands as they hand into that final weekend. But first, we're fortunate to be joined by USC Director of Player Development, Sergio Brown. Sergio is a key piece of the Trojans coaching staff, even if he's technically not one of the on-field paid coaches. He brings volumes of knowledge to the staff, having 26 years of coaching experience before taking on this role with the Trojans. He coached Arizona, helping them to make it to the National Championship Series. Most recently, he coached at San Diego State. He's made stops at several Big West spots throughout his career, including multiple stops at his alma mater, Cal State Fullerton, where Sergio was on the Titans' 1995 national championship team. You know, that national championship means you got to go through the College World Series. In total, Sergio has reached the College World Series five times as a player and coach. Sergio, thanks for taking the time to join us. Thank you for having me, guys, and thank you for that intro. That's beautiful. Well, we, we, want, to, we want to butter you up before we get to some of the questions here. So <laughs> I, I want to focus this interview more on you and your role. But since you're one of, the only one of the three of us that were in the building this week, i got to start with a big sweep against Arizona State a place that there's no love lost for you because everywhere you've been has kind of been a rivalry with Arizona State, dating back to your days at Cal State Fullerton. Um, if you would have told uh, told me that USC would hold Arizona State to 10 hits, I would have thought you guys would need the offense, score a couple runs, but you could still win that game. But the Sun Devils didn't have hit just 10 hits in one game. They had 10 hits for the entire weekend. I mean, that's just crazy to me, especially with the offense numbers they had been putting up. What seems to be clicking right now for the team to responded from that five-game losing streak just a couple weeks ago to have a, a series win over Oregon, a ranked Oregon team last week, and now a sweep of Arizona State? Well, I, I think it's a lot of belief and a lot of trust. Our belief in the players, our trust in them that they're going to get this thing going and 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 continuing to, to like I tell Coach Stanky, we're squeezing that juice and we're getting every drip out of these guys. You know, that rough that, that Washington deal was rough, man, not just because of the sweep. Um, they 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 got us late in the Friday and Saturday games. And and then we come back in two rough midweeks against Long Beach and, and Fullerton. But 
we got more out of these guys. There was more in there. And 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 Coach Stanky's message is just, hey guys, we're gonna get better at this. We're gonna continue to get better. We're gonna improve on these things. And I just think the 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 calming influence, the 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 messaging and 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 how it's delivered, they just they, they just kept believing. So so we get Oregon and really good Oregon team. And then uh, we take care of the midweek game against Bakersfield. And then just going into this ASU weekend, man, there was just a little bit of a of a buzz this week at practice. Good Wednesday practice, Thursday graduation. Um, and 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 we got into this thing and, and Seth prepped the pitchers, man. Hey, every guy in that lineup was hitting 330 with 10 to 20 doubles and 8 to 15 home runs, man. It was a scary lineup, let me tell you. And these guys just got after it, man. Soderston, Aoki. Um, Stromsburg yesterday was awesome. The bullpen, unbelievable. And, and, and we defended the heck out of it, man. Our guys played catch and, and, and when you play catch, you put the ball in play and, and, uh, you throw strike one, you, you give yourself a chance. It feels like, you know, a group you've really been squeezing the most out of is, is the bottom of the lineup. I'm talking about Hedges and Galloway and Jackson. I mean, those three guys had 13 hits combined between them this weekend. Where have you guys been able to help that group in particular develop to help lengthen the lineup? Well, I, I think the bottom of the lineup starts at the top of the lineup. When 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 the guys at the top of the lineup are doing their thing, it, it doesn't put the pressure on those guys at the bottom. And uh, you know, I think I think the one thing that we've done at a really really high level is development. And and the not only the the, the player development, I think the personal the, the personal development of these guys. I think um, the approach and the batting cages, um, the commitment to developing consistency and the stroke from Coach Jewett and and, and Jenkins in there and just constantly giving these guys something to that, that that's going to be functional that they could carry into the weekend series and, and and that's what we keep doing we don't sway from it we keep it pretty simple and 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 they're buying into it and those guys at the bottom man they're they're confident they have a good approach they know who they are and they don't get away from who they are you guys have a lot of guys experiencing breakout seasons. Well, I mean, the development is really clear. When you got there this offseason, where does that process start? How do you go about starting developing both pitchers and hitters to try and, you know, build build on what they had last year, whether they were new or returning? Well, I, I think a new voice. I've obviously been a new voice at several programs. Um, and 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 so when 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 you show these kids that you care about them, when you show them that you love them, uh, when you, when you show them and, and, and tell them that, that, Hey, this is going to get better guys. It's not panic. There's no screaming. There's no yelling. Um, I think development's going to happen. I think we've, we've been able to find something in these kids that, that, that hasn't been found before. I mean, look at Johnny Olmstead's numbers, ridiculous, uh, Jackson, um, Carson Wells. I mean, just, just go down and you, and you look at the increase. And I always believe a, a program really develops when you look at numbers from their freshman to their sophomore their, to their junior year. And if there's 10 to 15% increase in production, development is happening. Well, this year it's happened at, at, a, at a higher clip. And, 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 and again, it's just that delivery from, from, from Jewett, from Stanky, from Etherton. Etherton's constant comment is keep it simple, keep it simple. And, and, and as coaches, sometimes we could overcoach and underteach. And I think this year we are really teaching. And it's, it's been fun to be around. Now you've been around plenty of high-achieving teams. Like I said, a member of five teams that have gone to the College World Series. What elements do you think this USC team has that have enabled it to, you know, have such a dra drastic turnaround? 
Um, and, you know, so many different pieces coming in from different areas to, to put to meld together to become this roster that's, you know, got a team on the verge of potentially making it to a regional. Still got some work to do, obviously, but 31 wins. I'm um, going to have a winning season. It's only going to be the third winning season since 2005 for USC. And what has, has this group to, together, what elements to really kind of stand out to you compared to, to some of those teams that, that you've been around? Um, you know, I, I think it starts at the top. And, and, and Coach Stanky has given us a forum in the office to speak up. I, I, if you call it a fault, I'm a very opinionated guy. I want to I I put my thoughts out there. And, and Stanky's allowed that. He's allowed us to, to collaborate, the freedom to talk and to discuss. So, so I think when we leave that office, there's, the, the, there's a plan of attack. And I think the players see that. I think, I think they see uh, the group effort uh, and we're making that happen. And it starts in the office. And then when we go out to the field, I think there's, there's a calming approach. There's a, a calm delivery from the coaching staff. And, and, and I think in the dugout, when they see us all together in the dugout, I think there's a belief in the players that, that there's some adults in the room and these guys have done it. And, and, and not only have we done it successfully, I mean, Hey, talk about our staff, 15 Omaha appearances, four national championships, but, but with that, you've got, a couple coaches who have been fired. <laughs> You've got some, some, a head coach and a pitching coach who have been released a few times. We know what failure is too. And, and, and so it's a, it's a constant stay hungry, but stay humble. And, and I think they're, they're getting that from us because we know what it is to be hungry and to be humble because we've been humbled. And, and, and I think that that calming influence, the fathers in the room, some adults, they, I think they grasp onto that a little bit and, and, and there's a trust that they see in that and they, they embrace them, they grasp it. And the one thing we're getting out of these guys that we can't question as a staff a single time about them is effort. Now the results haven't always been great, but the effort has been, it's been resilient and it's been attack mode and it's been fun to watch them do that. I, I just kind of curious. I mean, you mentioned the hip stink, what's allowing you guys to, to speak your mind, but with all of you guys coming from different places in the coaching staff, what's the chemistry like, um, you know, with, with a guy like Seth Etherton, who was a former player here at USC versus, you know, Stank was coming across uh, to be, to be a head coach at, at USC to all of you guys coming from different locations. What's the chemistry like between all of you guys navigating each of your first season at USC? Um, you know, we, we, we all bring something different and, and, and perspective is, is great. Um, and, you know, we throw a lot of stuff up, up on the wall and, and, and I think, I think we learn, I think, I think we, we're really good at saying what we need to say when it matters in the office. Um, the, the, the synergy amongst us, I've always believed a great coaching staff has a balance of personalities and we've got a balance of personalities. Um, you know, obviously, Jew at positive life force, upbeat, energetic. Um, Coach Stanky, you know, hey, say what you want about Coach Stankowitz, man. He seems easygoing and low key, and the whole bit, man. There's a there's an inner fire in that guy that the players know and the players feel, but there's no pressure behind it. If, if ever I've been around a coaching staff, this is a really, really easy coaching staff to play for. The demands are realistic. I mean, Coach Stankowitz has gotten mad this year for a guy not sliding into second base for a third out of an inning and a guy missing first base running up the line. That's, those are the little detail things that anger him. 
It's not about an error. It's not about strikeout. It's not about walking guys. It's those little things that we're going to play hard all the time and do the game and play the game the right way. Um, and so from a coaching staff standpoint, you talk about coach Etherton. I mean, he is the epitome of a USC baseball player, four-year player. Uh, I, I don't re- remember if he was undrafted as a junior or didn't sign as a junior comes back as a senior. So a four-year USC player, national player of the year, national championship. He knows what the legacy is. He knows what this place is. So he brings that perspective. All of us bring a different perspective of success that we've had from other programs, other head coaches. Um, and, and we've all been exposed to some pretty special head guys, including Coach Stankowitz. Now, I have to say, I mean, the, the staff, I think, has been tremendous. The, the collection of talent on that staff, uh, it really stood out. I mean, but your hire actually caught my attention. And along with a couple of things that I'd heard from candidates throughout the head coach search, it told me that USC was really going to invest in making the baseball program a winner. Because if you bring in somebody who's got 26 years of experience and bring them as the player development rather than an on-field coach, um, that, that really stood out to me that they were going to put the, you know, the effort, the energy, the investment into the program in that direction. How similar or different would you say the support's been from the USC athletic department compared to some of your other stops? It's significant. I mean, I mean, for them to be able to to commit to to a, a position that can allow Coach Stankowitz to hire me. I mean, I think that is a big deal. I think it really is a big deal. Not not to say it's me, but it's the fact that they're willing to put and invest into the position to give me an opportunity to take the job. the The support's been phenomenal. I think uh, finally people are 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 not wondering when is this going to end. <laughs> they're 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 starting to figure out it may not end. You know what I mean? It may keep going. And so, you know, at a, at a school like this, when you could resurrect a legacy, I tell people all the time, talk about organizations, talk about the corporate world. When Coca-Cola fails, when Chrysler fails, if Apple ever failed, USC baseball's failed and we're able to, to resurrect a legacy. And, and, and you don't get that, that, op, that opportunity very often in life in any industry. And so for us, that's, 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 that's what's exciting about this. And, 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 and the athletic department has committed to allowing us to try to resurrect this thing. When you're trying to resurrect it from, from a different spot, how different is the off field role for you? I think, you know, people look at the role director of player development and we think we have an idea, but from, from your perspective, what is your role and how different is it from what you've done at past spots? Uh, it, it, it's different from the standpoint that I'm doing what I've always done just at a lesser level. And I'm doing more things that I haven't done. I've had to learn. I'm an older guy, man. And I'm old school. When you hit the ball hard, you know, you hit the ball hard. When a guy's swing shows you something, you know where to play your players. Well, now we have analytics. And, and so I've had to kind of dip in and, and, and learn some analytics stuff, which is a little bit uncomfortable for me. You know what I mean? Um, I've dipped into some alumni relations stuff, really trying to get the alumni back. And we've had some awesome, awesome alumni events from, from, from a football game in the fall to our alumni baseball game. There were over 100 guys, 25th anniversary celebration of a national championship, which, which was Seth's team, uh, 50th anniversary and 60th anniversary. Um, so been able to dive into those things, really getting the camp situation going. Uh, for Coach Jenkins, he's a volunteer. He needs to make some money. So really helping him to put some money in his pocket, which has been a big deal. Uh, you know, he's got a family of, I think, eight or nine 
no, I'm kidding. He's got a family of, of, of four and, and, and the wife is pregnant. And, and, and so it's been important to make sure he's comfortable, you know, to bring him to Southern California. So dipping into all of those things and, 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 and really the, the, the biggest challenge for me has been finding my lane and kind of staying in my lane. Travis Jewett's the recruiting coordinator. You know, I, I'm his assistant. What I like to think of as an assistant recruiting coordinator. Coach Stanky has told me, you be the eye in the sky. You see something, don't be afraid to come and say something. Um, in games, you know, being in Seth's here a little bit, hey, what do you think? You think we need to get this guy going? Uh, his pitch count's getting up. Who do we got on the pen next? So, so trying to find my lane without crossing the line, you know what I mean? So a little bit different role for you, obviously, but uh, you mentioned one of the things that I think is very interesting. You know, how different is coaching now versus 20 years ago? You know, with the rise of analytics, now schools have an analytics team. You know, that's completely different where you got a, a collection of students. They're kind of parsing through the data, and some of those kids are going on to, you know, front offices and whatnot. Um, so how have you guys tried to implement analytics, and how different has it been for you, you know, versus what it may have been 20 years ago? Well, it, kids are different, and and you need to adapt to kids. Um, you know, it's it's if kids like it and they want to know about it, then as a coach, if you want to give them what they want or, or what they think they need, then you need to know a little bit about it. So exit velocities, you know, things like that, percentages of swing and miss. And, 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 and so for us, it's, you know, Coach Stankowitz is old school. Coach Jewett is old school. Actually, Coach Etherton is probably the one most experienced in analytics because he's coming from pro ball. So we have it. It's there. It's a tool that we use for development. Um, but man, we talk to these kids about, hey, when you hit the ball hard, you know you hit the ball. <laughs> you know what I mean? We don't we don't need an exit velo to tell you you scored that thing up. But they like that and they think it's kind of cool. So so we have an analytics team and these guys are getting after it. They're up in our in our dungeon up there doing their thing and posting um, exit velos and 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 um, you know just just pick rec pitch recognition stuff on our starters and and so it's it's good because the players like it. So for us, we need to know it because. It's just another thing to say, hey, we support you on this. We know you like it. We're going to learn about it. You've got probably the best seat in the house for USC football practice with you know, your desk overlooking Howard Jones Field. And no, none of the schools that you've coached at before have had anything quite like the gravitational pull like USC football and what it means to Southern California. How do you try and harness and use that? I know you mentioned assistant recruiting coordinator, especially with the way that it has been in the last 12 months. How do you use that to try and draw people to come to play at USC? Well, I mean, come on, I get to, I get to watch every minute of practice. I'm, I, I, I'm an eye in the sky for the baseball program and, and, and kind of a fly on the wall for the football program, I guess. I get to, I get to see every bit of it. Um, hey, it, I, think, I think from an experience standpoint, kids want a full experience. And, and, and what they're seeing at USC now is obviously the academics has been there. The, the, the football has been there, and it's obviously getting really good. Um, basketball. I mean, how about that jump and, 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 and those commits they just got here in the last week. So now the pressure's on us, man, football's getting it done. Basketball's getting it done. We better, we, we better get it done too. So trying to tell kids, not only do you have the, the, the big time college experience, you have the obviously elite level education, but now you've got a baseball program that's winning and, and, and it's time for kids in Southern California, in Northern California, on the West coast to, know that, hey, USC is here. We're here. You know, we, we, we tell people that we're here. And uh, we want kids to realize that, 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 that USC mystique, that USC thing, it's, it's, it's coming, man. It's coming. And we're going to get it to the right level. Give us a little chance. 
it's baby steps, but brick by brick, man, we're going to get it there. You guys have taken those baby steps. You guys have, especially at home, you've you know been ex- phenomenal at home. Twenty six wins this year at Dado uh, makes the Dado Download podcast you know pop even more when we can say how good you guys have been at Dado Field. But we've got to ask about an element that's been missing. You guys have been so good at Dado, but the home slate's done. You know, you guys go across town to Loyola Marymount on Tuesday. Go to Arizona, your former school, on uh, you know it's a regular season to end the regular season this weekend. And then it's to Scottsdale for the Pac-12 tournament. And then hopefully you guys get shipped east for a regional, um, you, you know, and you guys are in the NCAA tournament. But what will it take for the Trojans to become road warriors? What's the element that's been missing there for that to happen? I guess you guys didn't get the note. We called those guys up in Tucson, and they decided to come back over here and lose their home series <laughs> and go play us <laughs> at home at Dato. Hey, man, you know, I think part of growth, is is getting better in all areas and and how ironic is is it that we have played better this last time at washington take the sweep out of it we did play better our guys gave it their all on friday and saturday it was special to watch these guys get after it and go after it on the road when we hadn't done it so now what's the next growth step for this team play good on the road starting with loyola tomorrow we're not looking ahead to tucson yet we, we got loyola tomorrow we got to take care of business on the road and, and for this team to take the next step, the way I look at it is what better time to take the next step than on the road, the last weekend of the Pac-12 when we got to do something. And, and I think it's just part of the journey. Yeah, and, and don't discount uh, LMU. We would definitely want. They're leading the WCC right now. Uh, that all starts those final four regular season games. You take on LMU. And then the Sergio Brown reunion series as you return to Tucson and take on the Wildcats. Hopefully you get a chance to say hello to some familiar faces around the ballpark. Some of the players you helped recruit to Arizona, I believe there's still some of those guys are still around. Now you're going to be trying to beat them. Uh, but, Sergio, thanks so much for taking the time to join us on the, D- the Dato Download podcast. Tucson was good to me and my family. We enjoyed our time there. The Wildcats, hey, it was a special run with Jay Johnson and those guys. But uh, now we're going with a different uniform. The whole family is going. There's going to be a lot of Browns out there coming from my family in Douglas, my family in Phoenix. And uh, it's going to be an exciting weekend. Well, at least USC will have some fans there. Hopefully some, you know, some Arizona um, you know, people that live in Arizona, their USC fans will make it out for the series and, you know, try to combat the home field advantage, give them a little, a little bit of dado in Tucson, and maybe the Trojans will start playing like, you know, they're playing a dado at home. Uh, but with that, we're going to jump into our break and then we'll be back with Jack and I taking a little deeper look at the past weekend and looking forward to this week's matchups. Thanks guys. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are, number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen. Welcome back from the break. Make sure to check out our sponsors and also please like, subscribe, and review the podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform. Also, if you have any questions, comments, requests, you can send them into podcast at uscfootball.com. Just make sure you put Ditto Download or Baseball Pod in the, in the headline. Make sure it gets directed to Jack and I. Before we jump into our normal segments, recapping last week and looking forward, Jack, what stood out to you about our interview with USC Director of Player Development, Sergio Brown? Well, Shotgun, I, I think what stood out to me most is the commitment that the USC Athletic Department is making to the baseball program. I think, you know, we watching the games have been able to tell this team is very well coached. You know, this team is, is turning things around. And I think it was important to hear, you know, uh, from the mouth of the program, you know, one of the guys that's, that is part of that commitment that USC is making in Sergio Brown saying, yeah, this is what USC is pouring in. We're going to turn things around, you know, and just all, all the stuff that he was saying about that. I thought that was really interesting. You know, we've been able to, to, to tell, you know, watching the program that something has changed this year, but I think it was really telling to hear just how big of a commitment the athletic department is making to the program. Cause they do want to turn it around to get back to that level of glory that, that has been there in the past. Yeah. I thought it was interesting hearing him talk about the synergy with the the staff and the fact that, you know, that it's an open, open to conversation. You know, if you've got a suggestion, you throw it out there. No one's kind of stepping around on their tiptoes or anything. It seems like it's a very, uh, you know, a very cooperative and collaborative um, uh, uh, coaching offices. So I think that's part, part of the reason why they've been so good. We've seen them pick up wins throughout the season. We saw them pick up four more this week. Let's look back at last week. We'll start with Bakersfield. USC is able to get a pretty easier win here. You know, Jay Nagasi again struggled early in the game. He only he was pulled after facing two batters in the third that both scored for ended up having five earned runs and two in his pitch. You know, it really becomes a question of can you throw him out there again until something gets changed? You know, it's, it's just going to be difficult to see him being back on the bump for USC this season with what's at stake going forward here. You know, Bryce Martin, Grezelanik, and Carson Wells both hit grand slams. He helps erase those early runs that, uh, that Agassi was able to give up. Fun fact for you, Carson's big brother, Austin Wells, also hit a three-run homer in his minor league game that night. So he had both Wells brothers going for big big flies, for big runs. Uh, so, you know, it was a, a big day for the Wells household in that regard. Uh, there was no scoring after the fifth inning, though. Austin O'Vern hits his 13th triple to score a run and then scored on a sack fly. And then after that, bullpen locked it up, and that was it. Uh, I mean, two guys stood out to me in this game, other than the ones I already mentioned. Ryan Jackson, what a stat line. 0 for 0 in the game with three runs because he walked four times the start of just a big week for him. And then I thought it was also big for USC, Michael Ebner pitching an in, inning in, in two-thirds, no hits, no walks, struck out two, really big there. And then there was one situation where I thought USC could have spread things out. Uh, you know, they, they loaded the bases with no outs in the bottom seventh. Uh, bottom of the seventh, they didn't score and they couldn't separate. So they had to use Caden Connolly, had to use Garrett Clark to finish the game rather than maybe going to Hoop and Garner, maybe going to Nate Plow, maybe getting another guy in there to give him a little bit of work um, and, and having that opportunity to save those innings, those extra bullets on those big arms that have been so big for them down the stretch. Uh, but the thing is, they didn't really need them too much during the weekend 
because the starting pitching was so good. Start us off with Friday. What did you see, you know, from Friday's game? I mean, you mentioned it, it was the pitching, and Blake Soderston was amazing. USC ended up only winning the game 5-1. to one. They were able to separate late, but for the majority of the game, it was a 2-1 to one game. So Blake Soderston making his just his second Friday start, uh, it, it was a big deal, um, and he was fantastic, just as all of the USC uh, starters were all weekend. I got that wrong. It was 4-1, to one, the, the final score, um, but... Blake Saunderson went seven full innings, only gave up three hits, three walks, three strikeouts. So not the same strikeout performance as against Oregon, not setting a new career high with 12 Ks, just pitching to contact and doing it effectively went through seven. That was big for USC. And you mentioned you got to save the bullpen a little bit. They used Kyle Wish for two innings, but they only had to throw two pitchers on Friday, which was a big deal. And they end up only allowing one run on the day. You needed even less innings out of the bullpen on Saturday because it was absolutely fantastic game. The pitching on both sides was great until it fell apart for ASU in the eighth inning. USC wins two to nothing, both runs coming in the eighth inning when they had one hit. It wasn't a very significant hit. It was a you know ground ball that went through the, the left side of the infield, if I remember correctly, left or right side, one of them, you know, just a ground ball that got through the infield. But the inning went hit by pitch. That one single, then a walk, then a hit by pitch to score the first run of the game, and then a walk to score an insurance run for USC. The only runs of the game of the game came when Arizona State's uh, you know pitching fell apart in the eighth inning, which was unfortunate because it had been pitched so well up to that point. Now USC had a couple of opportunities early. They loaded the bases in the first inning. They had two runners in score position in the second. But they allow Christian Kirsch to settle in. Now, he has struggled at, at times this season, the TCU transfer for Arizona State. And once he got settled in, he pitched really well through, throughout the rest of his outing, went seven innings for, for Arizona State. But it didn't matter because Kay Naoki was just outstanding on the other side. Eight innings pitched, three hits, no walks, only two Ks. But, again, pitching the contact, letting those ASU guys get themselves out. You know, it, was, it was extremely efficient as well. I think he had a four-pinch inning or a five-pitch inning in the second inning. Um, you, you know, this it seemed like that was the game plan. It's like, all right, we're going to keep it close to the zone, let them attack and be aggressive early in counts, and Arizona State was that, and USC's pitching was really good. Garrett Clark comes on, strikes out the side for his seventh save in the ninth inning. Ryan Jackson, again, three for four. He reached base multiple times in all four games this week. His average is now up to 278 after it had been, you know, in the 230s, 240s, uh, most of the year. So I think that's been a big boost for them at the bottom of the lineup. You, you know, you mentioned it, you talked about it, asked Sergio Brown about it. You know, the bottom of the lineup has been, you, you know, just contributing so much recently. Ethan Hedges has really come on. You know, I think he's taken off. You know, I talked about it earlier in the year about that freshman wall, you know, two thirds through three, two thirds of the way through the season, freshmen either take off or they hit the wall and just kind of, you know, flatline. So, you know, he's a guy that seems like, all right, I've got it figured out, and he's kind of taken off. And Jacob Galloway has been terrific for him with Connor Aoki out. So, you know, the, the bottom of the lineup gets it done once again, and they'll do it again the next day. You know, what, what, what stood out to you on Saturday, and then where did that bottom of the lineup come up again on Sunday? Yeah, on Saturday, I think, you know, we, we talk about Caden Aoki a lot, and he's been really good, and sometimes you just – don't even think about how good that is, you know, eight innings pitched. And the thing that stood out to me was no walks. And, you know, we, we look at him as a guy with a lot of control, but across his last two starts against Washington and Oregon before the Arizona state start, he had walked 10 batters combined uh, across, you know, just over 11 innings. So uh, 10 of his 17 walks had come in his last two times on the mound. This time he goes eight full innings without allowing one walk, did not hit a batter. So that was a, a big deal to me where, you know, they, they weren't getting hit hard, but they also weren't allowing Arizona State to get on base for free. And then uh, if you look at Sunday again, 
uh, or look at Sunday, Stromsburg making his first start in a couple weeks after getting scratched against Oregon. And he showed up and just did the same thing that Soderston and Aoki did. Went six and two thirds, only gave up four hits. He did walk three, two hit batters, but only one strikeout. He pitched a contact uh, outside those walks and, and got out of it with only allowing one earned run. And then he handed over to the bullpen, which was well rested. And the bullpen didn't allow a hit or a run all weekend. Connolly went one full inning. Wish went one and a third. And so they really clutched up to get the win. Yeah, and Arizona State coming into this weekend, I think it had been, you know, they had been held to two or three runs once this season. They won one nothing against San Diego State early in the year, um, or actually four times this season. Um, and then against USC, all three games, USC holds them to one run, zero runs, and one run. Like you said earlier, you said the bottom of the lineup had 13 hits. Arizona State had 10. Like the, the fact they had 10 hits for an entire weekend, they held Luke Keisho hitless. You know, I said last week that I thought he's it was probably the front runner or at least in the conversation for Pac-12 player of the year. And now he goes hitless. Now you wonder if he, you know, if anybody's taking that step in front of him with Chase Davis, a guy that USC will see this weekend, or some of those guys in Stanford who against Chase Davis, they were battling back and forth. You mentioned that, you know, the the we'll see uh, Arizona. Uh, this weekend, there's going to be some offense. Sergio mentioned it could be an offensive park. It was 21 to 20 on on Sunday against Stanford, and that was at Stanford. So if those two teams were playing in Arizona, that game might have been 31 to 30. Um, but just a crazy game there, back and forth. And we'll mention it. We'll talk about that a little bit going forward. But one thing that stood out to me on Sunday, how about Johnny Olmstead? Game tied, lays down a bunt with two outs, beats it out to and and brings home the the go ahead run. You know he's been. The, outstanding for him all season I, I think we don't talk about him enough probably um, but the fact that he's gone from an average player to being a consistent force in the middle of that lineup and can do different things like that laying that bunt down I thought that was phenomenal and thought just kind of showed all the different elements that he's brought to this team this year yeah I mean he's always been a great defender but this season he's really picked it up with the bat and you know we normally see him at third making great throws on bunt plays this time he's laying one down and just running for his life down the first baseline and he's able to bring across that go-ahead run and after that USC didn't slow down you know they could have said hey we'll go into the ninth with a 2-1 lead but they add three more runs in the eighth inning on a Ryan Jackson single and then a Bryce Martin Grudzalonic single both just just doing it the easy way Jackson grounds it up the middle and then Grudzalonic did the same thing as well on a line drive and to add three more runs to make it a, a lower leverage situation uh, for the Trojans who then brought in Garrett Clark or Kyle Wish uh, to to get the win. That's just a big thing that shows maturity for a team and it shows some growth from what we had seen during that middle stretch of the season where USC had gone on that five game losing streak where they weren't able to add runs or bring runs in when they were in scoring position this time to try and close out a sweep to add three more and and really just uh, kind of rub it in uh, on Arizona State make it a lot harder for them to come back in the ninth not give them any sense of hope. That was a big deal. Yeah, and I thought it was interesting. You mentioned what they were able to do there to separate a little bit. But also in that uh, Sunday game, they fell behind 1-0 early. Not a big deal. You know, I think it was third or fourth inning. But they immediately answered in the bottom half of the inning. And that's something they did on Friday as well, where, hey, you fall behind one nothing. You're facing, you know, the you know the best pitcher potentially on, you know, the opposition on a Friday. You want to answer and respond. And they did that immediately. And then they didn't trail the rest of the time. So, you know, they, they trailed in, in both the Friday and Sunday games but they didn't trail for more than a half inning. You know, it was only a half inning each time. So I, I thought that, you know, it was, it was just a spectacular weekend for them overall. They did all the things that you felt like 
uh, that little piece that they need to add. And maybe that's the little pieces they need to add on the road, but those little pieces that haven't necessarily taken them above and beyond, it seemed like all that came together this weekend. Yeah, and, and you, you total up all the starting pitching numbers. I believe the starters went 21 and a third innings, allowed 10 hits and three earned runs. Um, that, that's pretty good for, for an entire weekend. And, and you did mention the bullpen got some rest. I think it's really important to note the guys that did get rest. You know, we've talked about guys like Fisher Johnson and Josh Blum a lot. Guys that pitched nearly every day for USC, they didn't pitch a single time in the weekend. You know, it was it was Caden Connolly, Kyle Wish, and Garrett Clark. And we've talked with Seth Etherton before about saying, hey, you know, if guys need a day off, they can get a day off. This time, you know, we don't know if it was the players asking for it, but the starting pitching did enough to get those bullpen guys an entire weekend of rest, which is huge when you're going on a tough road series that's at a very offensive park where... You assume these guys are going to have to throw a lot on Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and then go to the Pac-12 tournament. I mean, getting a break this late in the season is such a big deal for some of these guys that have made so many appearances for USC this year. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point there, Jack. And it's huge for them also this week because this weekend is bumped up. It's a Thursday, Friday, Saturday series because the Pac-12 tournament, you know, all the teams are playing Thursday, Friday, Saturday on this final regular season weekend. So, you know, just one less day of rest. But now if you give the Josh Blum, you give those guys that extra week off where they didn't have to pitch since that Tuesday, and, hey, we'll see how much they have to use him as LMU, if they can use other pieces, how deep can Eric Hammond give them, or do they try to save Hammond to use him on the weekend in that weekend series deal and throw him for short? That'll be part of the the uh, kind of the, the – um, strategy they'll have to employ is, all right, how much do we want to use? Who do we want to use uh, against LMU, who is a solid team? And we'll talk about them in a second. But first, let's look at where USC stands now. They're 31-20-1 overall. They are now up to 16-11 and in the Pac-12. They've jumped up to fourth place. They jumped over ASU. They jumped over Oregon. Um, and now ASU was second last week. You know, so USC has beaten teams. You know, the, the, the series they've won, they beat, you know, the top, the, the champion, they beat Stanford, who just clinched the title this past week. They The number one coming in, the preseason pick as well in Stanford. They, they beat the preseason number two pick, UCLA, when UCLA actually had a full rotation for once. Now, it's, since then, it's not been the same, and, you know, they've been they've had other injuries as well. But they beat number one, number two in the preseason. They beat number one Stanford, who has clinched and won the, the Pac-12 regular season title. They beat Arizona State when they were number two, and they beat Oregon when I believe they were number three going into the last weekend too. So it's not like USC has been feasting on teams when they've struggled and, oh, suddenly these teams have gotten hot, um, and now that, that series looks good. You know, USC's beaten teams that have been playing well coming in against them. Arizona State, you know, they had lost the weekend before, but still, you know, they, the way they shut down that offense is something nobody has done all season. So that was super, super impressive as well. USC's RPI climbed up nine spots from last week to now number 57. If they were to hold at 57, I believe they're in. Now, the road win-loss record is definitely a challenging thing to look at and, you know, it will depend on where they finish. You know, that's why I think it's important. you got to go to Arizona and make some noise this weekend. If you win the series, I think they've locked up a regional bid. Um, but because if they don't, that re that that road win-loss record is going to stand out even more when, uh, when you start looking at it. You start comparing resumes and where's that RPI going to be? Now, going into this, 
Arizona is going to be RPI. They're, they're RPI number 59 right now. So USC can go there and win a couple games. That will help them because you get the boost of a road series win or the road wins uh, there. So I think their RPI would still go up a couple spots and be in the in the mix. You know, I, I've said this before, but just to remind you guys, you know, any new listeners, if you get in the top 45 as a power conference and you finish well in your conference as far as the standings, you're basically you're going to be in. Now, the West Coast, you get a little bit more leeway. If you're in the top 50, top 52, you feel comfortable getting in. USC, if they can get in the top 55, I think they should they should be okay and get in. Now, we'll see how the results all pair play out and how that affects everything. First, got to start with beating LMU on Tuesday. Um, but USC, I think two big notes, 30 wins. Only the second time since 2005, the other time USC had 30 wins, was 2015, which is the only other time they made regionals since 2005. They also clinched a winning record for just the third time since 2005. That's amazing to me, considering where the program is at, how many talented players that were lost off yet last year's roster, whether by graduation draft or uh, by the transfer portal, when this, this club took over or this coaching staff took over, and the fact that there's not like 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 we've said in the past, there wasn't a Caleb Williams coming in to everyone, a transfer coming in that okay, now you can feel comfortable where you're at. This rebuild can happen really quickly. And we try to kind of caution everyone coming into the season that there wasn't that player on this roster, but they've come together so well as a unit. For them to have a winning record in the first season, it, this is an unmitigated success for me, whether they get into the postseason or not. And the fact that they are going to make the Pac-12 tournament. At the beginning of the season, we didn't know if that was going to happen. You know, uh, the top nine out of 11, so there's going to be two teams left out. We were like, USC might be one of those two teams. That was the case last year when there was eight teams. USC was one of the three left out. Uh, so didn't even know if they would make it. Now they're vying for positioning. All right, can they bump up a little bit higher? They're fourth right now. Depending if they sweep this weekend, then they'll at least move to third because they would jump Oregon State, who is off this weekend as far as Pac-12 play. They're playing Western Carolina. Uh, just because of the uneven number of teams in the Pac-12 with Colorado not having a team. So with 11 teams, every week there's one team. So they'll, they can jump Oregon State if they sweep. If they don't sweep, then they, they don't have the tiebreaker against Oregon State, so they'd be behind them. And then we're also – you'll be watching the results of Washington facing Cal. They're playing Cal at home. Cal's been playing better this week. I mean, better recently, but I think Washington's going to steamroll them. Uh, they've been playing outstanding. They're coming off a sweep at Oregon. Um, you know, so I, I think Washington's playing phenomenal right now. So I think that's the, the biggest thing is can USC get in the top three? Because then even if you don't win your your bubble and your pod in the, the Pac-12 tournament, there's still a great chance for you to advance to the next round even after that. So uh, we'll, we'll break down all the scenarios a little bit more next week after we have the full standings of the Pac-12 and kind of explain the tiebreakers and all that type of stuff in next week's episode. But to be where they're at right now is just is is kind of mind blowing to me. At seeing what this team had coming into last or coming in out of last season, what was gone, what was returning, what they brought in, I did not see this team being where they are. And it's a, a, a complete credit to the coaching staff and those players on the field. Yeah, you know, and it has to do a lot with transfers. We talked about Aoki and Sodderston this week. They are one in three in ERA in the Pac-12. It's just. That's two transfers that you brought in. Um, and, and you know, they, they have just won the games that they've needed to win for the most part at home. Uh, you mentioned that they have 30 wins in general, but their 26 home wins is tied for the most that any USC team has had this whole century. I mean, they didn't lose a single home series 
all year. They, they won all eight of them. So they've really defended the home turf. They haven't been great on the road, which uh, you look at, that's what you look at for Arizona and, and you see a similar thing. So now you wish you were playing Arizona at Dado field, but they'll have to go handle business out in Tucson. I mean, Arizona has a worse road record than USC, which is hard to do. They're three and 14 on the road and they're 20, 21 and seven at home. So they know how to hit it at their park. They've got five guys with an OPS over a thousand. Um, they really hit the crap out of the ball. Bottom three in Team ERA in the Pac-12, so they're, they're one of those teams that hits it well, doesn't pitch it quite as well, um, but when you get them at home, they're a tough team to beat, so USC is going to have to uh, overcome some of their struggles on the road, which you know we talked about with Sergio Brown, that he feels the team is ready to do that. They're still growing, and we've seen a lot of growth, not only this season, but specifically over these past couple weekends against Oregon and Arizona State, and you know this is one of the hottest teams in the conference right now, and, and they're really setting themselves up for potentially a, a high seed in the Pac-12 tournament, but if not, they're going to try and be competitive out in Scottsdale. Yeah, and you mentioned that, that- Kane Aoki and Blake Sarson are one and three in the Pac-12. I didn't even realize that number, so I had to look up the ERAs. And when you come from, you know, week in and week out, hadn't really necessarily paid to the season stats. Four and one for Kane Aoki, 2.04 ERA. And Blake Sarson, four and two, 2.92. And that's crazy to me because Kane Aoki had basically never pitched before in college. You know, he, he threw a couple of innings for uh, Notre Dame last year and then got shut down because of an injury. And Blake Sarson was coming off a year in the Big West at CSUN where he had a 564 ERA and that they couldn't ever get him figured out to figure out a good role for him. They moved him from the start rotation to closing and just couldn't get it figured out. So again, that goes back to the development uh, of players as well. I think he's been, you know, I, I said at the beginning of the season, I thought he could be a key for them because of, you know, the way they can move him around in different jobs, but there was still a question mark when I, I saw them in the fall is, you know, the fastball was just too straight. Can they get more movement on it? Can they? So they have developed the pitches as well there. So it's not just developing the player in general, not just developing, um, you know, the person, but, you know, pitch recognition, pitch, uh, you know, pitch manipulation, those type of things. I mean, the slider was outstanding in that game against Oregon. He was just getting guys swinging and missing and then freezing them when he would throw it in the zone. So I, he's been super impressive to me. I think that's been one of the big keys for them going forward. Um, you know, he, he's, Striking out 9.6 per nine innings. So he's been fantastic for him. Starting pitching was unbelievable this weekend. We'll see if they can carry it forward, though, going for, going into that Arizona series. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I think even two, Caden Naoki and Blake Sodderson, two guys that weren't even set in the starting rotation to begin the year. I mean, Sodderson, the guy that had had started some, some midweek games for USC, Aoki got some run early on and then had to work his way back into the rotation. Now you're looking at one and three on the conference leaderboards for earned run average. That's just impressive. And it speaks to the grit of the players that they're bringing in to, to not just, you know, fold early on in the season when they're not, Hey, I'm not, I'm not the Friday starter. I'm not the Saturday starter. What, what am I doing here? They're, they're working their tail off to go. And now they're the Friday and Saturday starters for USC down the stretch. Yeah. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see if they can carry that over. What are those ERAs going to look like after you play in Arizona? That could be a place that can destroy ERAs. It's done in the past, but first USC has to go to LMU to Loyola Marymount. Another place that can be tough for pitchers because they have a giant blue wall. It's not the green monster. They have the blue monster uh, in left field. Giant wall where the ball you know, can travel out pretty quickly and you, you play some wall ball. You get a lot of doubles off that wall as well. Loyola Marymount's 26 and 21. They're currently leading the West Coast Conference. They've actually had a couple of transfers come in. Uh, Devin Ornelas, uh, who's a local kid, 
from TC, but transferred in from TCU. Catcher Jared Thomas, the Miami transfer, is hitting 308, four homers, 31 RBIs. He's been a key for him in the middle. And they've won five of the last six games. They swept Pepperdine, which is a big rivalry series, the PCH rivalry series. I don't know how much you know about that one, Jack, but that one, you know, when, when both those programs are going good, that one can get a little rowdy as well, uh, Pepperdine and LMU. But the Lions have been playing really well. Now, USC beat them earlier in the month, but – what kind of stands out to you? What does what USC got to do well against LMU? Well, they, they got out ahead pretty early, um, and they rebounded from a, a Jaden Agassi start that didn't go how he wanted in the first inning. He allowed three runs in the first, but then USC responded with three in the bottom of the second, and then after that, they had worked the score at one point to where it was 11-5, what they need to do is they make they need to make sure they don't give up that lead. That one was a lot closer than it needed to be at the end. In fact, you had the tying run on base, and Kyle Wish had to come in after Jason Sterles allowed a bunch of runs and only got one out in the ninth when they tried to get him some run up eleven to five. The game finished eleven to nine with two runners left on base, and you know Wish was able to get out of it after he made an error himself. But it's a game that USC can't afford to uh, to to let slip for sure. But then also they can afford to let. A lot of arms go to waste at the end of a game if they're up big. They really need to, to, to ensure that if they get up, they hold the lead and they get out as quickly as possible to try and save as many arms as they can for this weekend, especially, as you mentioned, when it is a Thursday, Friday, Saturday move-up series. Yeah, and you know the most important thing, obviously, is getting the win. Now, LMU comes in with an RPI 93, so it's not going to hurt you. It's not going to crush you if you lose. Uh, but you know, another bonus, top 100 win potentially there would be good for them. Um, but that's the most important thing. Try to get the win. The second most important thing is to not overuse the pitching and potentially can you save your pitching? You know, can you get a lead early? You know, LMU has been good on the weekends, not so much in the midweeks uh, because they, they're just thin as far as the pitching. They have a great Friday guys, Washington transfer, Diego Barrera. Um, if you get a chance, you know, check out some of his film. He's been fantastic for him. Probably will be the WCC pitcher of the year and will be a draft pick, but midweeks much different. You know, they just don't have that quality depth um, that they've had at times. So, you know, I, I think that can you get up early, put the pressure on them, maybe they start going, all right, we're not going to win this game. Let's use somebody. Let's keep our guys fresh because they got a similar situation. They're going to Pacific this week. And I believe it's a Thursday, Friday, Saturday series as well. So, you know, if they get down early, if either one of these teams gets down early, maybe they kind of throw the towel in a little bit. Let's use some guys, get some guys some work type of thing. You never know who you're going to need in a conference tournament. Let's get some guys work, that type of thing. So if they can get out early, I think, and put the pressure on LMU to keep up, I think that would be really big for them. Um, but then they go to Arizona, and it's a big weekend, as we've discussed, many for different reasons. One, potentially to, uh, to, to move up to at least third place in the Pac-12 standings if they could sweep, but also try to remedy their, their uh, road record right now and try to make it look a little bit better. The Wildcats have had a disappointing season. They're 27-22, though. It's not like they're terrible. Um, they've just been 10-17 and in Pac-12 play and have not been playing great. They have an explosive offense, especially at home. They're 21-7 and at home, like you mentioned, and they've got dudes in the lineup. they got Chase Davis, they've had 373, 17 bombs, 58 RBIs. Juco transfer Kiko Romero, 352, 15 home runs, but 74 RBIs. And it all starts with former USC commit Mac Bingham, who's hitting 360, nine bombs and 47 RBIs. He's been hitting, you know, a leadoff for him a good amount of the season. But their starting pitching has really struggled. And TJ Nichols was supposed to be their ace, and it just has not happened this season. He has struggled, and that's been the biggest thing for them. You know, when he's pitching well, 
then they're a different team. But they've had a, they moved him to the bullpen. I don't know exactly how they plan to use him this weekend. He's got a 786 ERA. There are two other most frequent starters, uh, Brendan Zastro and Aiden May, both with uh, Zastro has a, a 5.29 ERA, Aiden May 7.12. So, you know, they can strike some guys out with their pitching staff, but they've given up a lot of hits. And, you know, if USC can take advantage of all the free bases, they've given up some walks and stuff too, then, you know, the, the, the offense is going to have to do a little bit more than they did last week against ASU. But if the pitching staff comes and pitches as well as it is against ASU, then it'll make it a moot point. I just don't think it's going to be quite as easy in the spacious, cavernous high Corbett field that is there at Arizona. Yeah, I mean, you want to keep the Wildcats in the yard just like any other team. But, you know, specifically Arizona, they've got, you know, you mentioned Chase Davis, 17 home runs, tied for the Pac-12 lead. Romero's up there in the top five as well with his 15. And they've just got guys up and down the lineup that can swing it. They scored, I think it was 23 runs off Stanford yesterday, hitting home runs, you know, when it counted, when they needed to. Uh, um, 21 runs, I believe, actually. But it, it, it was a big game, uh, and, and they're coming off that that win, which, you know, even one win at Stanford in a, in a big come-from-behind victory after allowing, um, you know, a three-run home run to go to extra innings, they were able to get the win. Um, and, and when you're going on the road at Stanford, even to salvage one in that last game, the, the Wildcats could be coming in with some momentum. So USC's got to watch out. I mean, we've talked about it uh, up and down the show. Play well on the road, and that's going to be the big task this weekend. Five different guys in that lineup have hit at least eight home runs. Milo Corona had three of them the other, uh, I think, last week against Oregon State or two weeks ago. So, yeah, they got guys that can hit the ball in the ballpark. It's also a triples-friendly ballpark. Um, so we'll see if Austin O'Vern can get to, get to work in that. You know, he hasn't been great the last couple weeks, and USC has still found ways to win. Can they get him back on track going into, you know, the stretch run the last final last week of the regular season, the Pac-12 tournament, and then potentially beyond that? But we'll see. We'll, we'll be back next week to kind of wrap it up, to see where USC is at, kind of preview the Pac-12 tournament, do all that. Um, but that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the Data Download Podcast, part of the Peristyle Podcast family. I'm your host, Shotgun Sprawlin, saying thank you to Sergio Brown for joining us and to everyone for taking the time to listen. Please like, share, subscribe, leave us a review on your podcast listening platform. I hope you guys can join us. But first, we did have a five-star review. I want to say thank you to, to Sue Sim, I believe is how you pronounce the name. Said great new podcast with Shotgun and Jack, very informative, and enjoyable with some great guests. So thank you guys for for leaving that message. Leave us some more. We like to we like uh, getting our egos fluffed up a little bit. But I hope you guys can join us for the next episode of the Dato Download Podcast. <laughs>